Hello everyone and welcome to yet another episode of the world's greatest boxing podcast, I Like Boxing with Joe and Joel. I'm Joseph Caulfield, joined as always by the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend, the boxing scholar himself, Joel Ilier. Joel, how are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Just like boxing. I'm in a good state, mate. Really? Is boxing in a good state? Mate, after that weekend, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. We'll talk about the uh, those two big fights, Tank Davis and v. Ryan Garcia, and of course, Joe Cordina against Shabcat Rakimov. But yeah, I mean, it was an excellent weekend. I have to say, after watching the first fight, the Cordina one, I thought <laughs> this could be one of the greatest boxing <laughs> weekends of my life. What a fight that was. Um, what, let's just jump straight in. We're on the subject of the Joe Cordina fight. Why don't we just... We'll, Deal with that one first. That was the first fight of the evening. Um, I'm just going to just say, I thought that was one of the best fights I've seen in a long, long time. It, it's a definite fight of the year contender. I genuinely thought after the first four rounds, this could go on to be one of the, like, I mean, literally all-time great classic fights. And it was pretty close to that anyway. Yeah. Um, what a fight. It was brilliant. I think a couple more knockdowns in that, and it would have sort of yeah. joined them ranks, in it, as yeah. one of the best. But, yeah, after two rounds, I think we were saying, uh, this is a classic already. Yeah. Oh, it was, yeah, it was that. They were so committed. And you get a fight like that when they're just two guys at that level. They fought at such a high level mm. and neither of them were willing to kind of take a back step all night. That was amazing, man. Yeah, yeah. One other thing I took from the the fight. So I thought that Joe Cordina won it relatively comfortably. For me, all the classy work came from Joe Cordina. And it's interesting. This is a fight, because uh, this is a point I wanted to make. This is definitely a fight where you've got to ignore the punch stats. Oh, that's exactly what because... I was about to say, Joe. Ah, sorry about that, Joe. Yeah, you just stolen my <laughs> stolen my thunder right there, man. That's horrible. I didn't I didn't see your notes either. Um, because the punch stats will show you that Rakamoff outlanded Cordina. With my eyes, though, I have no idea how that happened because, and if he was landing, he was just hitting him either on the arms or in well, places that made absolutely zero uh, difference. I wouldn't go that far, but what I would say is that Cordina's work was so good, so crisp, so clean that it was just his, his punches were on a different level to Rakimov. Rakimov was landing in that fight. He was yeah. landing good odd punches, yeah. but Cordina's work at times there was yeah. on a different level. Absolutely. That was stuff that you rarely see from a British fighter, mate. Yeah. That was like some of the elite, elite American stuff there. Yeah, absolutely. And the other interesting thing as well was that when you look at the two boxers at the end of the fight, yeah. Joe Cordina, because I said it before the fight, he's a pretty boy isn't he and he was still, still a pretty is. boy after that fight Rakimov took a lot of damage I mean his eye was a state at one point we were worried he was going to get stopped on mm. cuts and I think he was as well it was funny at one point in the fight he just sort of screamed suddenly and just started lunging at Cordina and I think it was the realisation that his eye was in such a bad state maybe it was him just trying to empty the gas tank and just go for it yeah I think I, I saw that as well at the time yeah. just thought well he thinks this fight is about to be stopped and he's putting it all on the line but that was what was in there that night is that he did think that the fight was about to be stopped and he didn't look for a way out or just try and box past or protective art his eye he was desperate to win that fight from start to finish man that was it was just an incredibly committed effort yeah um i'm gonna ask you a question how good is joe cordina he is an elite level talent in world boxing he's not just like a, a top british talent the guy is elite world level yeah he's shown that in his last two performances in the in the um agawa fight and thought well maybe that was just a, a punch i haven't seen that level of form from him before in this one at the weekend mm. 
that his his performance reached heights that very few fighters get to. Yeah, because he had to dig deep in this fight. I know he put Rakamov down. Uh, I can't remember which round it was. It was in one of the early rounds, but I think it was in round five. Cordina was badly hurt. Yeah, and I remember saying to you, I said, I kept saying, take a knee, take a knee, just take because. You know, well, we just, thought it was over. Yeah, you're just going to get stopped. You're yep. taking way too much punishment, and you know that thing where you th- fighters are so they've got too much pride they don't want to go down. But actually, that won him the fight because if he had taken a knee, he was he would have lost the fight, which would have been a ridiculous decision. Yeah, in absolutely. that case, but absolutely, you're absolutely correct. Like it would have been the point swing with yeah. the, with the two point swing with that with that judge you had it by a point. Yeah, Joel, how how good is Joe Cordina? Joe Cordina is like elite level world talent, mate. It's not elite British talent. Yeah. He's reached levels there that very, very few people get to in a British ring. Yeah. Like, or in a in a world ring, sorry. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. He what well, he could have won that fight so much easier if he'd used sort of all his his skills and his fundamentals and his boxing talent. Mm. He could have boxed rings around this guy. It would have been a really tough fight. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, because Rakimov's that level and fought with that pressure mm. that, you know, it's gonna be a tough fight. Yeah. But he could have won that in a 118, 110 type performance. Yeah. Um, but he didn't. And he spoke about it afterwards. I heard him in a, I think it was an interview with Buncey yeah. after the fight where he said, I wanted to show that I could match him for toughness because everyone says that he's the bogeyman of the division. Yeah. And I wanted to show that I also had that stuff in me. He didn't say stuff, that's the word we use, but that's what he was getting at. Yeah. And it, that's what he fought with that night, and that shows the level of talent that Cordina is. He's like the, he's like his his countryman Joe Calzaghe. No, he you is. know, he's got that elite level boxing ability, but he's yeah. also got the stuff, mate. And he's got that Carl Froch thing, which you were saying before. He doesn't mark up. Yeah. So he's got that. He's got the genes for it as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. Man, this guy's going to be. I think he's going to be around top level for a really long time. Yeah. And it's interesting you talk about the the stuff that he has because he was. Badly hurt in the fifth round, and I, like I say, I remember t- screaming to you at the time. And I was like, Go, "Just take a knee, Joe. Yeah. Take the knee now, because if you don't, you're going to get battered and you're going to get stopped." But he didn't, and he recovered. Um, and the other thing as well, which obviously shows his toughness, you alluded to it anyway. It could have been a one eighteen, one ten shutout because Joe Cordina is a classy boxer. He's he's definitely a level above Rakimov in terms of pure boxing Talent. skill. Yeah. But it was evident from the first round that he was well up for having a tear up and yeah. just staying in the booth. Okay, you you can throw your punches at me in the booth, but I'm going to counter you and I'm going to make you look silly. But he did take some punishment as a result of that. But what, I mean, yeah, he's like Joe Calzaghe. He's got the skills, he's got the toughness. He's he's now at that level, I think, where he, you know, he's... he's He's the man in 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 you know certainly in you know Welsh Welsh boxing's come back and he's going to be the man to carry it to who knows hopefully the heights that Joe Calzaghe did. That's it, man. And and the um, the sport in Wales when you've got a big Welsh star. Yeah, I mean that Cardiff scene is just brilliant. Yeah, you know, just so they it's love just good their to fighters. Have they do, man, and nice to have a good time in Cardiff as well. You know yes, what I mean? Yes. So, but he's also I think now he's I would I would personally I just think he's that he's the top guy in the division. Yeah, you know, down at junior lightweight, mm. I think that I'd have um, I'd have him ab- ab- above Oscar Valdez and people like that in the division. Yeah, like, I think definitely. so. 
I think that he's actually, I'd have him as basically clear number one because, of course, Stevenson's gone up to lightweight. Mm. So I, I think for me, we've got like the boy from Cardiff. He's the man now. Yeah, he's a man de- in the division. Definitely. Um, one thing I think we both agree on that uh, Rakimov's reputation also grew. I mean, this is an example of a fight where both of them, their, you know, their reputations went up yep. massively. One in victory, one in defeat. Rakimov showed such tremendous courage because. You know, when considering the eye injury uh, and the, how badly his eye was swelling up and the damage that his face was showing, he wouldn't give up. And he, you know, he really rallied. He came mm-hmm. on. He had obviously Joe in a bit of trouble in round five. I, I'm amazed it went the 12, given how bad his eye looked at one point. And you've got to give him all the credit in the world for that. I mean, no, this guy is going to, he is still going to be a bogeyman at that division. No one's going to want to fight him. I think that Rakimov is going to be around again for years he's an elite performer in that division mm. I think Rakimov's still a top two three four yeah. in a division fighter I think it's just that Joe Cordina was on a, a different level the yeah. other night but yeah. I think that Rakimov yeah I think he's just proved himself to be a a, a, a huge talent as well I was thinking as well like well, for the future because Lara is going to be moving up from featherweight pretty soon Ah, like, he can't keep making that weight. He's huge at the weight. He struggles to make the weight. He's failed to make the weight before. He's going to be moving into that junior lightweight division. I mean, could you imagine Mauricio Lara up against either Rakimov or Joe Cordino? I and mean, these are just fantasy fights, man. Lara Cordina would be a ridiculously good fight. And and Lara has the relationship with Matchroom as yeah. well and Dazone, yeah. who Cordina obviously has signed with. So it's not some pie in the sky stuff. It's fantasy stuff. It's fantasy. It's fantasy league stuff. Yeah, but it's it's not pie in the sky. No, we'll have to petition Eddie Hearn on uh, Twitter. <laughs> move I'm, your boy. I'm sure he's listening. Yeah, move, we, move your boy Lara up yeah. pr- pr- quickly. <laughs> I, I think we're going to have to buy one of them blue ticks though in order to get get seen by. By match of no, that what you have to do these days. You've got to pay money so people can see your tweets. No, we don't want to lower ourselves to that oh, level. Man. We'll just no, become we authentically famous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right, brilliant fight. One of the fights of the year. An amazing performance from both of them. Just an absolute pleasure watching that. So congratulations to both. Now there was another fight, probably a bigger fight. Um, this was Javonta Davis against Ryan Garcia. This one was obviously heavily hyped uh, on social media. A bit of a, how I put it, whoever won this was, you know, it was a coming out performance, I guess. Even though Javonta Davis is, you know, a a, long reigning world champion, he hasn't, I don't think he's really had that resume yet. And people are, you know, were very high on Ryan Garcia and saw him as someone who could potentially pose a problem. It was funny, though, when we did the preview, because we, you know, we just analysed it and we said, nah, Javonta Davis is going to win this one. I thought he'd win very comfortably. And actually, he really did. Yeah. It, it was a straight, it was a, it was a bit of a, I, mean, I felt a little bit disappointed by Ryan Garcia's the performance, but I also, in, in a way, maybe that was b- because there was that slight hope that maybe he would make it a much more competitive fight. It didn't turn out that way though. I didn't think that he would fight so nervous. I think that was what I found a bit disappointing about it. That we spoke in the preview about how, well, I spoke about how I expected um, Garcia to come out just pumping out the jab yeah. and, and we'd have a fast start. And it's exactly how he started. He came yeah. out pumping out the jab, yeah. but he put nothing behind any of them. Yeah. It's like he was throwing jabs while moving backwards. Yeah. It, I thought it was actually, I, I don't, 
I don't say this lightly. I thought it was a bit of a, a slightly... Well, no, it was an underwhelming performance yeah. by Ryan Garcia. He was clearly petrified yeah. in there. And it, and it was disappointing because, as you alluded to a minute ago, yeah, um, this fight was completely built. It's the first fight, actually, since that Devin Alexander-Timothy Bradley fight, which, um, God, it was years ago now. I think that must have been in about 2011. So I just had a look. That was in January... Uh, 2011 that yeah. fight and that was the last one I remember being billed as well the winner of this fight is the new face of American boxing yeah. and well we know how that turned out it, they, <laughs> they weren't the winner wasn't Timothy Bradley won but he, you know, he wasn't the face of US boxing this one mate have you seen the pay-per-view sales was it between 1.3 and 1.5 mil no it was just burst my bubble there mate I heard it was 1.2 mil ah, okay, which yeah. is still like a gargantuan figure these days for a US pay-per-view yeah. that is massive that's like a few years ago we're talking about a two and a half mil 2.5 mil pay-per-view sale that yeah. so this sort of if this was a few years back this would go up into one of the biggest sort of selling pay-per-view events ever that is let's say bonkers numbers these days that shows that these two are superstars and we got one now you know one standing left and and that's tank davis he's now a absolute megastar in the sport man yeah there's there was a lot of talk about uh whether he is now the biggest boxing star in the u.s well that was the narrative but it, he is it was actually correct it, it that the pay-per-view numbers have shown this. Could he supplant someone like Canelo as the actual face of yeah. boxing? Oh, definitely, because he's a much more interesting character. What yeah. do you say about Canelo? And Canelo's also, he's not, uh, he's, he's fading as a fighter. Yeah. You know, whereas Tank is at his absolute peak. He's a nasty piece of work, which we like in boxing. We like them characters. We like we like a bit of gutter in boxing. Do yeah. you know what I mean? And, and he's got a bit of gutter <laughs> about him, mate. And and so yeah, I think definitely, mate. I think yeah. he's he could um he's he is now he's 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 the man, mate. He is no. I, and but the thing I really liked about his performance because you mentioned this in the preview for it, you know, you were a little bit worried about you know his work rate. He 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 loses rounds. What I what I really saw in this fight was just someone who was just so calculating and just so calm. Just no, just gonna wait, just waiting for the moments. You know what? Yeah, because even in that second, when so Ryan Garcia's only bit of success came in the second round where he started to try and sort of rush. Yes, yeah, Davis. Yeah, and he, he went for him, and it, it's funny enough that with his physical advantages in height. The only time he got any success was right up close. Yeah. Was when he was bum-rushing Davison and throwing the punches on the inside and he suddenly started opening up and he kept doing it. And the thing is, we're sitting there watching the fight and we know he's in with a killer. Mm. That was his only chance, really, in the end, was to do what he was doing. Mm. And we were both saying, oh, he's just going to get caught here. Yeah. Because you can't do that against Hank. He's so dangerous, as you yeah. say. He's so cold and calculating. And when he's under attack, he's cool, he's calm, man. Yeah, he's come. He's just taking it. That's that's his that's his playground. That's his area, isn't it? One thing I will give Ryan Garcia credit for was getting up from the first shot that put him <laughs> down because the replays of it that that looked similar to Manny Pacquiao's shot against Ricky Hatton. It caught him in the same, almost like the same spot. Couldn't really, you know, not it's not one you see because his, his positioning was awful. 
Tank just countered him so beautifully and, and, and absolutely belted him as well. straight onto it. I actually thought it was a different, I thought it was similar to a different um, Pacquiao fight, actually, mate. I thought it was oh, quite yeah. similar to the Pacquiao Marquez where Pacquiao got banged out. I thought it was that, where I saw him in that, where he just oh, yeah. walked straight onto that straight, straight yeah. punch. Yeah, yeah. Um, he got up and he didn't really look like he was hurt at all, no. I have to say. So credit to him. Um, he's obviously got a chin and he's got a heart as well. Um However, the I mean the the shot that stopped the fight, which was the which was the body shot. You know, I've watched it a few times. It doesn't look like it was a really a, a tremendous body shot at all. But look, this has got this is you know Tate it's, Davies, <laughs> mate. It's hard to tell to the body in it. It's really yeah. difficult to see that. But yeah. and you said there, like right, that he's got a chin and he's got heart, and I'm I'm not questioning that at all. No. But one thing that he showed, he didn't have his confidence. You know, he's got yeah. chin, a heart, no doubt about it. But he he doesn't have confidence in in with elite guys. Yeah. Do you think he's overrated? Yeah. He showed how overrated? Very, and I think because of his, his social media success and his 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 star drawing power mm. and I've been able to match him and he has looked good. Um but he's he was in there at the weekend and showed nothing yeah. in with a talent like Tank. Yeah. Whereas we've seen Tank in with other fighters who are good, not great fighters, mm. and he doesn't do that to them. Yeah, you know yeah. it wasn't so easy, and the opponents aren't fighting like him. You see, you know, fighters like uh, Pedraza, uh, Isaac Cruz, and yeah. these guys have fought him. Well, they haven't fought scared in yeah. the way that yeah. um, Garcia did, and and you fight scared when you you know what you've got, and it isn't that good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. No, no, I, t- I totally agree. I think this fight came way too soon for Ryan Garcia. I mean, I think he's a, I think he's a good fighter and you can go from being a good fighter to a great fighter if you're matched well enough, if you progress well enough, you mm. can improve. You can't take someone like Javonta Davis when you're at the level he's at. He's not fought anyone no. nearly good enough to prepare him for that sort of fight. No, he's not had that step-up fight in between, but it's so hard, isn't it? Because we he's gone out there and he's taken a massive fight at what is he 23 or something he's young guy mm. still isn't he and he's gone and he's taken a fight like that which we commend and we want other fighters to be doing yeah. and you've seen Joe Joyce sort of do it in a similar way last week where he's gone in and taken a fight he didn't need to take yeah you know but against a, a top guy that can beat him yeah they've both just done that lost in different ways in different points of their careers to different fighters commercially speaking yeah but both of them afterwards were saying they've sort of been exposed and we don't want this in boxing we don't want to have this thing with fighters that losses mean so much but there is something that's intrinsically linked to the sport mm. that sometimes for some reason in boxing a defeat can really expose you yes and yeah. as much as we sort of stand there and go and we're constantly doing it well we shouldn't be so you know um, we shouldn't be so tied up in boxing with with perfect records and with mm. undefeated records yeah but actually <laughs> something about boxing yeah and an o on your record or not losing mm. that does it, it does carry weight, mate. And it's it's sort of inescapable in situations, I think, over the last week. Because they're both in a situation that we wanna we wanna come out the other side going, yeah, whatever, reputation not harmed in defeat. But yeah. unfortunately, it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm not so sure that for me, I'm not really of the view that his Ryan Garcia's reputation is you know, so badly harmed. I just think he was completely outclassed. He can, you know, he'll come again. But it's yeah, the but sort, he- it's the sort of defeat that will it will it will certainly 
especially if he is lacking confidence, it ain't going to help. But Joe, he was being groomed as a star that no one would outclass. So I think when you do get outclassed like that, I think that that does really affect your reputation. Well, if he's being groomed in that way, it's, it, you know, scholars like ourselves aren't seeing that. We no, know, we we see know through the deal. That. Yeah, we exactly. see through that. Um, where does uh, Javonta go from here? And what about Ryan Garcia? Uh, Javonta, um, well, it should it just should be the winner of Haney versus Lomachenko, shouldn't it? I mean, yeah. that's, that's sort of obvious, but you know, it won't be, will it? It's very unlikely. What what I think is more likely is a couple of easier fights, but maybe like a rematch with uh, Isaac Cruz, I was thinking, seems sort of something that would make sense. Do you think that Javonta Davis has the beating of uh, both Haney and Lomachenko after that? Or I think they're think- just really well-matched fights, mate. Yeah. Do you think that he's still that Haney and Lomachenko, their skill set combined with maybe a couple of Davis's weaknesses, could make that a fight? You know, a, a too far fifty-fifty competitive fight. Yeah, I think that Devin Haney, I would probably favour him against Tank. I would favour Tank to possibly knock out Lomachenko at this stage of Lomachenko's really? career. Yeah, wow. I, I, I do, but because he started showing signs of fragility and if you're in any way fragile, you ain't lasting with Tank, mate. Uh, but Haney is so super talented and he's so confident and he's in his prime. He's young. He would have physical advantages and skill advantages over Davis. But on top of that, it's the work rate and the work rate could really be effective. A high, but when you're highly skilled and have a work rate like Haney against Davis, that's what Davis is going to really struggle against. Yeah. I think, obviously, Haney is super skilled. And I think maybe probably has a little bit more skill than Davis. But there's a, something about Davis, the way he's so calculating in the ring. He's got that skill that of a, I don't, you wouldn't see in someone like Haney or Lomachenko where... He can just bide his time, and, and and then at that moment he knows when to throw the the, the knockout punch or he's, the punch that's going to take your head off. He's a sniper. Haney won't have Haney. will just keep you know. It's like death by a thousand cuts. But I think that's what beats that style, though. That's the whole thing. That death by a thousand cuts. That touchy, touchy, touchy stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think that's how you counter something that danger. Yeah. But you never let him set. Yeah. You know, he's, he's not going to let him uh david just plant his feet and have his way on the inside that haney ain't letting that happen you say that but then surely the same can be said for everyone who's thought davis they've probably gone in there and thought well if i don't let him set but he always manages to get set that's no, no, the no, thing but, but he's he got the skill to do that yes but he hasn't thought but haney's on a different he's level, a different mate, level. Yeah, from, from these that. other guys but he's on def- a, like haney is on a completely different level yeah. to ryan garcia but, but you also have to you can flip it you can say javonta davis is on a completely different level to anyone devin haney's oh, thought you damn know, right it, yeah it yeah, would 100%. be an amazing fight That'd to be have. brilliant no no these are these are just cracking fights mate that we want to see what about ryan garcia where, where does he go he's got Ooh. to have a little bit of a rebuild i mean it's you know he doesn't need to jump in with someone like Javonta Davis again. No, 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 I wouldn't if I was him, mate. Um, he's going to be a re- rebuilding job, as you say. I think Luke within... Campbell out of retirement. <laughs> Tell you what, Luke Campbell would fancy that, mate. I think with, um, with Garcia now, it's going to be a rebuild, as you say. Yeah. But every big fighter in and around his weight classes, you know, from two two divisions below to two divisions above, yeah. is now going to want to fight Garcia. Yeah. And they'll be offering a lot of money because Garcia is still going to sell. So oh, he's a massive draw, it's, yeah. It's an odd one, mate. Yeah. He 
could either go and just sell against sort of lower level fighters, fighters that he will beat. He could be matched carefully and they could get him 10, 12 win, wins in a row. Yeah. Or mate, he could get used up by the sport and spat out. Yeah, I mean... Because he's that level of fame, mate. He could just get all the big fights and just be fed over and over again. Yeah. Now, whether Ryan Garcia is someone that accepts his place in the world like that, in the sport like that, yeah. is another thing. It could well be that Ryan Garcia actually just doesn't fight for much longer. And yeah. you know what? Where they go from here, I don't see Ryan Garcia being in the sport in five years' time. He's almost certainly got a career outside of boxing you know whether it's social media i mean he could you know Doesn't all sorts it. of stuff i mean he's you know he's as good looking as me for starters you know he'll no, do Can- well canelo's as good looking as you mate <laughs> uh, he's a he's a he's a superstar mate he's a celebrity yeah. and celebrities in, in this world a celebrity is just a celebrity you can make a living out of that yeah it doesn't need something other than being a former boxer doesn't need a job no. just makes money from being a celebrity no that's it totally spot on right um yeah i mean two great uh, well, certainly one great fight, one great occasion, and uh, yeah, it was a good weekend of boxing. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. It was funny as well, Joel, because when I came round to yours, I said, "Oh, I'm probably only going to stay for the Cordina Rakimov <laughs> one because you know I've got stuff to do with the kids on Sunday." And, and then and, about- and Joe and Joe, I looked at you doubtfully, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I think five minutes after I said that, I said. Mind you, I'm really well rested and I quite want to watch this fight. <laughs> so I think I'm going to stay, wake me up at four o'clock. Um, yeah, it was great. Oh, that was, that was funny. But we are getting older, isn't it? We are being a bit more responsible, though. We're going to sleep in between and stuff. I couldn't do, do that. I mean? You can't all-nighter. do that anymore. No, yeah. no. It, I, I, don't, I just can't because my day the next day is just total washout. And I was, I was still really tired the next day as well. I remember at the evening time, I was by six, I was just almost fighting myself, falling asleep. Um, but there you go. Right, let's move on to the news. So the rematch between Liam Smith and Chris Eubank Jr. has been announced. This will take place on the 17th of June. And one interesting side note on this, I think we might have touched on it last week, was that Chris Eubank Jr. I think was angling for the Conor Ben fight, but the British Boxing Board of Control have more or less put that to bed with their, well, I say threat, threat backed by rules and regulations whereby anyone who uh, seeks to promote or even indeed fights Conor Ben could have their license withdrawn. So anyway, Chris Eubank Jr. really only had one option and that was to activate the rematch clause and so he will. Um, I still think, I mean, I I know you think, Lee, I think you think Liam Smith's going to bang him out again, but... I think Chris Eubank Jr., I mean, just the, the first performance was so bad. And, and, and you know, I'm not saying he's a great fighter. I don't think he is. I think, but I think he's he's a very gifted individual physically. I think I think he can improve on his performance. And I think it could be a lot closer. So I don't think this is, I think it's a, you know, I'm glad he's reactivated it. Because I think, I think he's got enough about him to show much more than he did in the first fight. I would have wanted to see a lot more in the first fight from Eubank to be able to say that he's got a chance in the second fight. He didn't show anything there. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. I think it could be just one of those fights where he got caught clean with a punch that really, you know, and he just never recovered. But who's to say he doesn't land that sort of punch against Liam? You know, it could be one of those. Yeah. Who, who knows? It's it's an interesting one. I think it could be a lot closer than people think. Because I See, know I, a lot I, of people are writing Chris yeah, Ben Jr. off. I don't think it's an interesting one. I actually think this is going to, because it's going to be a, a pay-per-view event, I assume. Well, I'm I not paying for it. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, <laughs> I think it's an entirely uninteresting fight, actually. I think when it's just been a fourth round KO like that, yeah, where he just got banged out quickly without having really landed anything, like Eubank didn't land anything of note in the first three rounds, yeah, and then just got absolutely annihilated in the fourth. I mean, what world are we in where that get, constitutes a rematch? Yeah, that's that's a that's a a strange one, mate. And I know they just had a rematch clause. It is what it is. And it makes sense because of what you said. You know, yeah. Eubank Jr. obviously wanted to fight Conor Ben. He couldn't. But uh, I think another weird one, Joe, since is the, is the framing by Eubank Jr. And this fight of the first fight as, a, as an early stoppage by the ref is obviously that's the selling point that he's going for, that that is what creates the intrigue, that it was an early stoppage. Has he said Dubia. that? Oh, mate, yeah. That's nice. what his, his whole sell has been. His whole sell has been in that in that media day. Yeah. It was constantly going on early stoppage. I didn't get a chance to prove myself. That would have been a Gatty Ward type performance by me. It's like, mate, it's easy enough to say that. Do you know what I mean? You you cannot go comparing yourself to our to Arturo Gatti and Mickey Ward. You just can't do it. You haven't shown that. He does talk it's a, a bit lot. Much. <laughs> I say shy. I'm quite interested listening to Chris Eubank <laughs> Jr. Actually, I I think he's uh he's uh he's a bit like his dad. He's he's very interesting. He can be quite articulate, but he can also he's know. brilliant for the sport and brilliant for selling an event. But yeah, fucking hell, mate. <laughs> <laughs> No, there's definitely no Gatty Ward after that oh. shellacking you took in that round, mate. You're not coming back from that. Right, on the undercard of that fight, though, we've got another fight, which is Savannah Marshall, who will return against Franchin Cruz de Zorn for the super middleweight belts. And it's a really good fight, actually. Um, I think this uh, could be quite interesting. I mean, it's a very 50-50 fight, I think, on paper, potentially. Yeah, it's quality, this one. Um, de Zorn is... A tough. squat, tough fighter, as you say. This is a, a lady that, you know, you, she's not to be messed with, mate. I think it's a really good, she's the undisputed super middle champ. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is a really quality fight for Marshall to be taken. I think style-wise as well, I think it'll be a, a really cracking fight. Yeah, Savannah Marshall, she's jumping in the deep end again. I mean, it will be if she loses. Where do you go from there? But yeah, fair enough. She wants to take the, the tough fight, so fair play to her. Got to do it, innit? Yeah. Sometimes you just got to do it. If you want to be, she, again, that was a bad loss, wasn't it? To, yeah. to show she's got to rebuild that image. Yeah. Especially after getting outclassed the way she did against the yeah. Shields. You know, you can't, you'd, you'd think if she loses this one, it, she'll continue, obviously, but where do you go? It's, uh, it's, a, it's a tough place to be in. Yep. Right, Dillian White and Martin Bacoli had an altercation at the Alan Babich fight. We're going to touch on that Alan Babich fight, actually, later <laughs> on, because it was a disaster, really. Have a guess, listeners, where, where that one's going to land in yeah, our schedule. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder if these two are pining for a, a fight. This could be the start of the selling that action. I have to say, though, if Dillian White fights Martin Bacoli, based on the evidence of recent performances, Martin Bacoli is going to absolutely batter him. Yeah, I, I can't really. It would be I'm a really very impressed on, with Bacoli at the minute. I no, think so am brilliant. I. I think he's looking really good. I can't. I just can't see Dillian White taking a fight unless he has absolutely no other option. They would have to. This would have to be a huge investment by boxer in the fight because they'd have to pay White an absolute fortune to get him in the ring with Bacoli there, and it would just be an investment in Bacoli, mm. like backing him to win the fight and become a bigger name. Because the problem that Bacoli's got is that no one of note is going to fight the guy. Because yeah. why on earth would you? Uh, Bacoli brings nothing to the table other than skills, talent, and a massive punch. Like, yeah. who wants that? You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, no, uh, hopefully that one transpires. Who knows? We'll, we'll soon find out. But obviously there's a bit of bad blood between the two of them. Anyway, next story. Gabe Rosado is strongly hinted at retirement after his latest loss to Bektomir Melikuziev. What do you have to say on this one, Joel? I think Gabe is one of them guys that he was always a limited fighter, but just gave sort of 100% to the sport. Yeah. Uh, he was like a proper blood and guts warrior, Gabe Rosado. He was like limited but dedicated to the game. He respected the game. He went on a long time. Yeah. Um, he was one of these ones who didn't tend to give up in fights. He could get battered. I mean, remember him getting sort of really outclassed quite a bit in his career against uh, Gendy Golovkin, David Lemieux, guys like these, and getting them beaten. And he, he would always be trying. I mean, that performance up against Golovkin at, at times was tough to watch, but these are the guys that I think the game is built on, really, because he's just, he's just been a very long-term gatekeeper yeah. in the sport. And he is sort of currently, he's, he seconds Freddie Roach at the wildcard gym. So he's been trying to transition into coaching for quite for a few years now. He's been sort of on that line yeah. about to cross over and he's about to do it. And when I hear him talk and think about how he's conducted himself in the sport, he just has the look to me of being one of these guys that's going to take effortlessly to coaching and that he'll, he'll sort of uh, have a really good second career in boxing. Yeah. Uh, again, like, like last Last week, man, he's like uh, top marks to Gabe in his career, man. I think he's just done, just he's just one of those guys, man. Uh, Essential this to this is what boxing is about, yeah. People yeah. like this, so I think he should get just as much of the shout out as as Floyd Mayweather did when he retired. Not just as much, but you know, what I mean, I've got to be carried away there, Joe. <laughs> Not for the first time, <laughs> right? Uh, Tia Fimo Lopez, unfortunately, has uh, given a somewhat controversial interview in which he called out various people and made racist comments. I'm going to read out uh, the extracts here. So start off with one thing straight away, the thing I just really dislike, and other boxers have, have said this sort of stuff before and then obviously regretted it and apologised. But this was, the, this was the first thing he said. One thing I love about my sport, I can kill a guy and get away with it, so it's cool. No, it's not. Then he goes on to say, commentators are the ones that convince everybody if someone else is winning. Watch the George Cambosas fight without the commentators, blah, 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 whining, you lost fair and square. Then he goes on to say, at the fighter meeting, I dissed Andre Ward and Timothy Bradley in front of ESPN's production and all of them for all their affiliation and corruption that they do. And what happened? I put more weight on my back. When I slipped with the first knockdown, they called. What did Bradley say right away? He's hurt. He's hurt. So I don't sugarcoat shit. All these mother effers can ride and sucker, you know what? And just to put it more on this fight, this is my last fight on ESPN. And here we go. This is why this fight means everything. If they want the black fighters, they can keep them. Now, we've touched on it before, but Tiafimo Lopez isn't the brightest spark uh, to wander the streets of life, I have to say. And, you know, quite frankly, Tio, you're showing it again. Um, I, really, I, I, I worry about Tiafimo Lopez in the sense that his stupidity is so overwhelming and his denseness and his the blinkers, you know, he can't see the truth hmm. that I don't see him having a top career now. You know, when you look at where he should have gone after beating Lomachenko and where he is now, 
and him saying this sort of stuff, quite frankly, if his career does go down the, the garbage hole, I'm not going to be too upset about it. Unfortunately it- for me, my take on, on Tio is that he's he has so many parallels with Chris Eubank at his age. And what I mean by that is that, unfortunately, he's got a real flaw in his sort of psyche in that he sees, you know, weaknesses in his game and acknowledging weaknesses in his game and him as a a person and and sportsman as an overall weakness. And he doesn't have, like Chris Eubank Jr., he doesn't have the humility to improve his game. And so, unfortunately, I was... So high on Tio, as you know, a few years ago, I thought, my God, the level of talent this man has at his age yeah. and what he can go in the ring there and do. And he did it against Vasily Lomachenko. One of the great wins of the last sort of 10 years yeah. was Tiafimo Lopez against Vasily Lomachenko. He has worsened since then. He's he's regressed since then because yeah. he will not acknowledge if he has a weakness to his game. And if anything goes wrong, it's everyone else's fault, not his. And the thing is, Joe, he believes it wholeheartedly because yeah. he's got that barrier up. And until he lets go of that, he's yeah. not going to improve. And that don't come down in a hurry, mate. Right. Um, Floyd Mayweather, the, uh, the, the GOAT. <laughs> I'm not saying he's the goat, but you know he does self-professed goat. He's set for another exhibition fight against John Gotti the third. I'm guessing John Gotti the third is the third descendant of John Gotti the uh, you know the mastermind criminal. So. Yep. Of, yeah, um, I mean this is just getting a bit ridiculous now, isn't it? Um, yeah, let's not dwell on that. It's a really uninteresting, boring news piece. I had to throw how, it in. How there, did that though. find its way into the schedule? The circus that is exhibition boxing is is sort of here to stay it's it's uh and he's fighting but you made an interesting point wouldn't it be funny if he just gets banged out in one of these yeah, but the thing is eventually <laughs> surely someone's gonna land a punch on an old man like that do you know what I mean, yeah. I mean I... unless there's like a an, you know the silent agreement there probably is i think to be honest when i've had a little gander at the vast majority of these fights you realize there is a, an agreement going on i mean i haven't seen any of the mayweather fights uh, sorry, I have seen them. Sorry, that's not what I meant. I mean, I haven't um, seen Mayweather really trying in any of his exhibition fights. He's, he's, he seems to be have been playing and, and yeah. yeah, he's had a bit of an agreement. Yeah. Other than actually that last one he had, I thought he put in quite a, quite a, a good performance actually. What, against the guy from Jersey Shore? Yeah, that one. <laughs> I thought he looked, that was... Or whatever he, it is. He was in really good shape. Jordy Shaw, maybe, I can't that's remember. It. The thing is, he was sort of trying quite a lot, and it's not as though he was a killer in there. Yeah. He was yeah. up against, you know, a bloke from Jordy Shaw. Yeah. I was listening to you there. Um, <laughs> right, let's move on to our Kinahan of the Week. Right, um... We're going to go for the WBC for sanctioning this horror show of a fight between Lucas Rosansky and Alan Babich for the WBC Bridgerweight title. I mean, watching it, it was just an embarrassment. And Alan Babich sadly put on a, t- it was a terrible performance. He just got clipped quite early never recovered and that was it but the we talk about the Cordina Rakamov fight in terms of levels and the skill which was incredible I mean this was the polar opposite and this this is for a world title so Alan Babich 
could have potentially been a world champion boxer. I mean, what is the point of the bridgeweight division if these two are the kind yeah. of caliber of fighters who are going to be competing for titles? Yeah, if these if these guys are contesting a vacant belt, then abandon the belt entirely. It is an embarrassment to the WBC. I mean, I don't even I don't need to go into Alan Babich and what his level is as a fighter. We all know it. I also have a high opinion of Babich. No, he's a trier. Do you know what I mean? He goes in there and he's a he's a proper warrior, Babich. Mm. He'll go in there and just do his thing. He knows what he is as a fighter. I've seen interviews with Babich before. He says, it's ridiculous, I've got an undefeated record. I'm, I'm someone who should have loads of losses. That's what I'll be at the end of my career. I'll have a load of He understands what he is, mate. Yeah. There's no thing in there. He's not some deluded bloke. But this other guy, Rosensky, so we, we know Babich... Rosansky, he hasn't fought since May 2021. Yeah. So he's been out of the ring for two years. Before that, he'd had what? He'd okay, won 14 fights before that, all by KO. Yeah. But mate, he hadn't gone past the fourth round. And in only one fight had he gone into the fourth round. No, two fights he went he went into the fourth round. I mean, I've got to say, this is ridiculous. Like it's he's just had some soft wings in Poland against nothing fighters. All of them are a journeyman, yeah. and some of them really old journeymen. And he gets rewarded with a two-year layoff with a vacant title fight. <laughs> I mean, this is bonkers, mate. Yeah. And what is a bridge weight title anyway? Like, what's it, the weight? Do you know what the weight is? Is, it, the, is it between is it the, the weight between cruiser and like heavy well or yeah is it... it is but like what is the like no one knows because no one gives a shit mate yeah yeah like, i think i think it's between 200 and 215 pound yeah but i couldn't i couldn't guarantee you that i'm yeah. really not sure and you are a boxing scholar mate so yeah, you damn usually right, know mate. everything damn right <laughs> um, I, no i don't get it mate i don't get why the wbc have wanted to sanction this other because like i say the sanctioning fee yeah. Like what what were they making out of this? What was the combined purses for this? I doubt fight? very much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what? Like, I don't understand whose interest this was in. Anyway, yeah. but the WBC like having divisions and belts and all that stuff. So, yeah. know, but to make like <laughs> fair enough, you make up new belts and all that. They've done some silly thing with this John Ryder fight in a kind of Canelo John Ryder fight. They made up a belt for that. But to <laughs> to make up an entirely new bloody weight division, <laughs> like. I didn't know they'd made a belt for the Ryder Canelo oh, fight. Mate. Have they? Yeah, they have. Yeah, they well, always make a belt. Undis- for... He's already undisputed at super middleweight Canelo. What, what, what other belts does he need? Well, because they always do. They give it like a some sort of Spanish name or something. Say so this is the. I think this is the Calisco something. The Cinco belt de Mayo belt. Well, no, I think they've done that already, mate. <laughs> so, oh my god! If it was over here next weekend, it would be like the coronation belt. Do you know what oh, I mean? Oh god! Yeah. It's the the whole thing is a farce, mate. You're going to be having British flags outside your your flat, mate. <laughs> Damn right, mate. Trust me, in my area, I'll be the only one with a British flag hanging outside my window, mate. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't be watching uh, the coronation of uh, King Charles. Couldn't care less. Right, so there we go. Kinnan of the week, WBC for sanctioning this dreadful charade of a fight at Bridgeweight. What is Bridgeweight? Who is Lucas Rosansky? Why is Alan Babich fighting for title the whole thing was just pretty pathetic so there you go right magazine lottery time and last week i pulled out boxing news the edition was dated april the 24th 2014 and i know you're wondering what the price of the that magazine was it was three pounds 20 joel so uh, there what we a go bargain <laughs> I know. and uh i came across an interesting article by bob me 
And in this, he was paying uh, tribute to Ruben Carter, who literally just passed away. And it got me thinking, uh, you know, I know a little bit about Ruben Carter. I've obviously seen, you know, the, the, the Hurricane film, which is about his life. You know, anyone... I mean, he is fairly well known in popular culture, I guess. Denzel Washington played him in that film. Yeah, he, it came out. When did it come out? Late nineties or something. Nineteen ninety nine, maybe. Yeah, and it was a real. He he was to say at the time he he was a big sort of pop culture figure at the yeah, time. Yeah, and he was also a big pop culture figure um, at the. I mean, in the seventies as well, because when it became a quite a thing amongst celebrities bob dylan made a song about his his story as well here comes the story of the hurricane it's a good song actually quite it like it very, it's very bob dylan that one isn't it yeah very yeah. bob dylan and uh you know got me thinking oh, i should do a piece on him because it's interesting and he's you know he had a really interesting uh life he had also had a very interesting boxing career so he was one of the original he was a proper tv fireman as a big name back in the day in the u.s mate yeah and uh Here's a question for you, actually, before I sort of touch on it. Do you think he could have become a world champion had he not gone to prison? No, I don't, because I think he was a bit past that stage of his career, probably by then. But he yeah. did, he started losing quite a few before at he that point. Went yeah. To prison, yeah, it had been years before he'd been beating like uh, Jimmy Ellis, Emil Griffith, yeah. people like this, where he was, he was, he was sort of upcoming. But then by then he'd he'd lost a few. I mean, he lost to Harry Scott in in uh, in London, yeah. after beating him. Now it was a big one, but he'd lost to Dick Tiger and stuff like this, yeah, um, near the time. So I don't think so. I think he was. Past that, but he was still not a big name, and just a, he was he he was as I say he was a TV fighter. Yeah. So for those who don't know, uh, Ruben Carter is synonymous with uh, the his conviction for uh, triple murder, which took place on at the Lafayette Bar and Grill on June seventeenth, nineteen sixty six. Ruben Carter and his friend John Artis were both jailed for life the following year and both protested their innocence. Now, in, interestingly, actually, uh, normally when you get done, particularly at that time in America, for uh, murder and, and you know, a one which was where the mo mot apparent alleged motive, should I say, was, you know, one of racism, and I'll touch on that in a minute, um, you know, normally you'd get the death sentence. But in this instance, the jury decided that the uh, sentence should be one of life with, you know, clemency, I think it was, which essentially means, you know, they're spared their lives. And Ruben Carter was of the opinion that that was the reason they did that was because basically they knew they were innocent, yeah. you know, can't really send them to jail for life, but, you know, be a bit harsh also to <laughs> send them to their death. Anyway, this was a really interesting one because the alleged motive for their killing, why Reuben Carter and John Artis were found guilty, was that the previous day, a black bartender uh, was, was murdered. And obviously, the prosecution at the time said, well, this was a retaliation. There were many flaws in this case. Although not not as many as people think, I have to say, and you we had a quick discussion about. It. I mean, it's, I still don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that they might have done it. But oh, Joe, you can't say that, I, lad, mate. <laughs> I don't think they did. No, I don't think they did. But I, you know, it wasn't. It's not as you know uh, as uh, clear cut. No, I am with you. I'm yeah, with you. I yeah. really don't yeah. th think it is. Anyway, the reason why this became. Uh, popular was because or why there was a concerted campaign to get them out was because obviously they protested their innocence but there were you know there were so many holes in the prosecution case and this was obviously a time in america where racism was 
horribly evident in so many different uh, facets of society. So you had the uh, two chief prosecution witnesses who were Alfred Bellow and Arthur Bradley. They both, uh, at the time of the first trial, said that they were you saw Reuben Carter and John Artis go into the Lafayette bar and, and, and you know murder these three individuals. Um, interestingly, eight years after that, when there was uh, a, a retrial on the horizon, they withdrew those statements saying that they had been pressed into naming Carter an artist by the police and then changed their minds again and said, no, actually, it was definitely them. Now, what's interesting is that there were there was a retrial in uh, I think it was in, uh, shortly after 1976 because the convictions were actually overturned, but that didn't enable them to walk free. It basically, just meant there has to be a retrial. Okay, so there was this concerted campaign amongst others, such as Bob Dylan, Muhammad Ali, also was part of the campaign to try and get Reuben Carter out, and um, we had a retrial. Now, what's interesting, and pe- for anyone listening. You- Check out on the BBC Sounds app website, whatever it is, the Hurricane Tapes, which is a podcast about this particular story. There was someone called Carolyn Kelly who also campaigned for Reuben Carter's release. And she was a very prominent black person, I believe, in politics. So having her support his case was a good thing. Then what happened, mate, was that she alleged that Reuben Carter assaulted her. What, like sexually? No, uh, physically. Oh. Uh, over um, that he apparently had beaten her uh, unconscious in a hotel room. Over uh, he, Reuben Carter claimed that she basically tried to extort him out of some money, right. and he took, obviously refused. But he did nothing to her. But what happened was that the so in the midst of this you know, celebrity campaign to get him out. You've then got Caroline Kelly, who's this very prominent black politician, supporting him and then sort of doing a reversal, saying, yeah. splashed all over the papers, Reuben Carter assaults me. That sort of killed the, chart, the momentum, the momentum yeah. that is campaign. And a lot of celebrities then started to withdraw their support, et cetera, et cetera. Um, anyway, the retrial, sadly, um, him and um, John Artis were found guilty again um and they were obviously convicted of the murders for a second time and this was just before christmas in 1976 so that must have been particularly uh devastating for uh both men um you were gonna ask me a question joel him beating up caroline kelly doesn't make him a murderer yeah right and so it shouldn't hinder his case it shouldn't have hindered that momentum but also him not being a murderer doesn't mean he's an angel no. It wasn't. Like, well, we can try and do these things as really sort of clear-cut sort of narratives yeah, when yeah. we're sort of telling stories and tales and and pieces of history like this. And this wasn't one of them. Yeah. He was a nasty, horrible bloke, but it doesn't mean he killed those four people, does it? No, I mean, let, let's touch on that. So at 14 years of age, he was convicted of assault and sent to Jamesburg Home for Boys. In fact, the assault, I believe, he he, st- he stabbed someone who he alleged was trying to sexually assault, I believe, one of his, or one of his, uh, someone in a, one individual in a group of friends he was with at the time. Um, he also joined the US Army, and I think he was discharged numerous times uh, for uh, escaping. So again, spent time in jail. In 1957, I believe he was locked up for mugging, um, uh, amongst others, a middle-aged black woman. So, yeah, you know, he was a nasty piece of work, certainly in his younger days, no question. 
Anyway, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> His boxing career was, you alluded to it earlier, interesting. He beat people like Holly Mims, Gomeo Brennan. One of his most famous wins, in fact, probably his most famous win was against Emil Griffith, who yeah. was a world champion at the time of the fight, I think he was. It was a non-title fight, but I'm pretty sure at the time he fought Emil Griffith, Emil Griffith, Griffith was welterweight champion of the world. And he's one of those ones he caught him cold in that fight, I think. Yeah, he put him down uh, twice in the first round, you know, so, and it was first round knockout, wasn't it? It was a first yeah. round knockout, yeah. That, I mean, that was a huge result. That launched him in sort of stardom. I think that's what sort of made, made his fame. Yeah, and you mentioned as well he beat a, f- a future heavyweight champion of the world, Jimmy Ellis. So this yeah. guy was no mug in the ring. I mean, he, he was, was not. But say so by the time he he was done for the murder, or by the time he was arrested, he'd lost. Well, he'd he'd not he'd won one fight in five. Yeah. So he was definitely on the on the slide by then. This was an interesting thing as well. So you know he he did fight for the world middleweight title against Joey Giardello in December 1964. Now what's interesting is if you watch the film. They basically sell it as a total robbery based yeah. on racism. It wasn't. wasn't. No. <laughs> I mean, that's Hollywood for you. But Joey Giardella as well, I mean, he was, he was, he's one of the true greats of the sport. He was one of the great middleweight champions of yeah. all time. Yeah. Like, he, wasn't, he wasn't a paper champ. Yeah, I mean, there's no harm in, you know, no shame in losing to uh, someone like that. But I think, you know, to, to and actually Joey Giardello sued, sued the producers of the film for that as well. Now, after he was convicted again in his retrial in 1976, it was more or less another 10 years before he sort of lodged his last chance uh, appeal. Now, this is uh, something called a habeas corpus. You only get one shot at it. And there are there are various ways in which you can make this uh, appeal. Basically, if you lose and the success rate is 1%, that's it. You, you can't appeal ever again. You're done. Um, one of the ways in which you can appeal is you can essentially ask the judge for one judge to make summary judgment on, on the evidence that you wish to submit and the prosecutions. Basically, just this consists of a maximum of 90 pages that you can submit in writing. The judge will read it and then the judge will make a decision about the merits of your appeal. So he did that and it was really uh, risky business because what he really should have been doing was appealing directly i think to the to to the again i'm not too clued up on the merit you know the the semantics of the american legal system but i know his counsel were basically saying no you need to go you need to appeal to the state that this is this is the way it's usually done again if you go via the habeas corpus route and you and you lose you're finished this game over and the success rate is so low he'd had enough of being in prison at that point and he just said no this is it i'm rolling the dice i'm prepared to just i say prepared to die he wasn't actually because his plan was to just walk out of prison anyway and what that basically means was he was prepared for the to, shoot to, him. for the shooting. Yeah. He'd had enough. He was just sure. going to go for it. That's so a desperate man. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, luckily for him, his case was heard by someone called uh, Judge H. Lee Sorokin, who was far more liberal than many of the uh, how do I put it those in the criminal system of America <laughs> at the time. And yeah. Basically, his convictions were overturned, and Lee Saracone's words were, you know, quite famous. And in the podcast as well, he said that in the film that you know the judge who who played him actually spoke his exact words, and he said that 
The convictions were based on an appeal to racism rather than reason and concealment rather than disclosure. And the reason I mentioned the disclosure bit was because the prosecution witnesses, Bello and Bradley, had taken, I believe, a lie detector test. Lie detector tests were inadmissible at the time, by the way, but they'd taken a lie detector test essentially to test the veracity of their what they were saying that Ruben Carter and John Artis did it. They failed that test, but the prosecution team told them that they passed. And that's why they went to give evidence again to the effect that it was Artis and Ruben Carter who did the murders. Right. They would not have gone to trial that second time and given that evidence had they not been essentially lied to by their own prosecution team. You've taken a lie detector test. We believe it shows you're telling the truth. But you're still allowed to do that in the US. I've seen this. In some states in the US, you are still allowed, the the police yeah. are allowed to give you lie detector tests and then completely lie about what the results are. Yeah. They can say whatever they want, the yeah. results, where they, it's still the case. Yeah. It's yeah. a remarkable, it's amazing that that's allowed in the, in the American system. But but this this was part of the new the, evidence yeah. that they disclosed as part of that habeas yeah. corpus, uh, you know, sort of final throw of the dice, sure. if you like. So that's why the judge referred to Incredible. concealment rather than disclosure. And obviously, the other thing which is interesting about this case was that the two prosecution witnesses, I mean, they were basically the reasons why Carter and Artis went down. They, you know, they were both career criminals and fun. Funnily enough, on the night of the murders, Bello and Bello in particular, he was a lookout for Bradley who was doing a bloody burglary. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they're not whiter than white. They ain't, and they were easily leveraged by dodgy coppers. Exactly. So, look, I'm I'm certainly of the view that he he almost certainly was um was innocent. But what's interesting is if you listen to the podcast tapes, you know, the prosecution team and they've spoken to them now, you know, in their like in their 80s, they are they were really still steadfast in their view. Look, sorry, we are absolutely adamant that it was these two who mm. did it. I guess it's interesting you just get such polarization of different opinions and you know you've got the guy who's doing the podcast saying but hang on a sec we've got all this new evidence but say but hang on a sec you've got had two trials for God's sake a jury of you know 24 peers have put them down. I do have to say though that you know certainly in the first trial it was an all white jury so it isn't really a, a jury of your peers. But you'd like to think that they'll <laughs> consider all the evidence rather than just say, oh, a couple of black guys, let's send them down, which really I think is something that's very, very possible at the time. Yeah. America is just a, it's a weird country. It's, um, all, it's all coming back, mate. It's, history repeats itself. Well, when I was reading this, what, what a lot of this reminded me of was the Sam Langford stuff because yeah. you've got a boxer who's career essentially was you know diminished because of racism couldn't fight for the heavyweight championship of the world and you've got a fighter here who's albeit probably was past his best unlikely to win a world title but was you know good enough to make a good career out of the sport and then you know his late 20s it goes to prison spends more or less 20 i said to you imagine spending 20 years of your life in prison mm. for a crime you didn't commit I would be so bitter. And do you know what's funny as well was that Ruben Carr in the podcast tapes, you know, he says, I, I, I was the most bitter human being. And I hated everyone. I hate, I wanted to kill everyone. I want, you know, I, I had despicable thoughts about what I wanted to do. I just, I hated everything. And that's understandable. I mean, if you're in 
going down for something like that. So your life's basically finished. What's interesting as well was that I believe when the habeas corpus was granted and he was released from prison, the prosecution tried 13 more times to have another retrial, get the case brought back to court. And I think it was his attorney team who mentioned on the tapes that they ended up going, you know, you have one of those sort of clandestine meetings with someone important who's like part of the state. And basically the person just said, look, is Reuben Carter going to sue us for damages? Or risk? Is it a risk assessment? And he said, and they said, no, he isn't. He said, fine, don't worry. There's no, definitely not going to be any more retrials of this right, case. Okay. So it's like you know those brown envelopes, those yeah, d- deals that you make. Yeah. Whereas if Ruben Carter, probably within reason, had said, "Fuck this, I want my damages, like my life's twenty years of my life down the yeah. shitter," you know, would oh. would would this would they prosecution have been successful in bringing it back to retrial? But it's again, all it's all know? politics, isn't it? And it's stuff and shows that sometimes in in these in these systems, the people in charge. They're not there to sort of do uphold, the right thing. Yeah, yeah, uphold the integrity of their area. That's yeah. not what they're there for. Yeah, they're there to sort of protect their little area of yeah. that area. If yeah. you see what I mean, and it's just what went on there. It's it's just politics. It's pure out and out politics. Yeah, yeah. But you're playing politics with a man's life. Life. Man. Yeah. How can you sit there in conscience and and consider these aren't these aren't sort of spur the moment stuff this is considered decisions isn't it yeah yeah no it's it's i mean it's an amazing story and uh yeah for any of our listeners watch the the film the hurricane it's a it's a great film uh and and you know reasonably close to the point factually i think as well be it there's obviously some some leeway for creative license so there's another interesting thing about the hurricane a podcast right so the hurricane tapes yeah that's, that you that's listen what i listen to, to yeah, yeah. yeah so the presenter on that steve crossman yeah he was actually a sportscaster for five lives so he used to like read out the football results he'll do you know at the end of the news oh yeah where they do the sports segment yeah that's what he did for years and years and years okay and the first thing he did outside of that was this was this for Five Live? He did this podcast for the BBC, yeah, and that instantly it, it like gave him this sort of leg up from just being that guy at the end of the news mm. to now he's a full on proper sportscaster that does discussions, his own shows, and all that. And I thought it was a really interesting thing at the time. Yeah, he, yeah. He's used that pod and doing that launched him in superstar. I'm just like I'm sure this one will frost you. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> So anyway, there we go. There's a magazine lottery. There's your little piece on Ruben Carr. And yeah, as I said, listeners, watch the film, listen to the Hurricane Tapes. It's just a really interesting story. And boxing is so interesting because it transcends just the sport. You get politics, you get race, you get so many different things. And you get these really incredible stories, which just, they take you back to a different world. Yeah. It's like, you know, and it and it's it's humbling. It's like, wow, God, you know. Imagine being in that in that place or at that time. But that's what that's what we love and why we did. I think why we started a podcast in the first place. Actually, when you go back to what what we discussed at the start, that boxing is just this conduit yeah. for all of these tales and stories and just just human life, yeah. isn't it? Because it just it encapsulates everything. It does, and yeah. you don't get again. You don't really get stories like this in like football. Or whatever, do yeah. you know what I mean? This is what boxing does. It or just equestrian. Gives us this, 
Yeah, <laughs> you ain't getting Sorry. it on the bloody steeplechase. <laughs> yeah, so brilliant. Yeah. Anyway, um, you, it's your turn to pull out a magazine. Oh, I'll go over. I've moved the stash, man. I've moved the stash in my little reorg. Right, Joel, what have you got for us? Well, I've pulled out Boxing News, 18th September 2009. Oh, it's the big one on the front, man. It's uh, Tyson Fury's first and only loss, mate. Oh, against John, front, Mr. McDermott. Yeah, not that he did lose, <laughs> but it's the one that um, that a lot of people thought he lost. So the, the front cover is McDermott Fury. Uh, Tyson gets a verdict that causes a storm and forces an inquiry. And it's a the, the image of the front is an amazing image, actually, of, of Fury taking a jab to the chin. Yeah, gosh. Uh, it's, it's a quality one, that. And, uh, yeah, I'll have to watch to that. that fight, actually. I don't think I've watched that fight. I, I'm going to watch it in readiness and we'll, I will score it. Let's do that, man. But, actually, let's not do that because I don't know what piece you're going to do, Joe. I'm sort of jumping the gun <laughs> well, a bit. I might do the back paper. We covered that one recently. Look, that's that prize fight with Danny Williams, Aldi Harrison, Michael Sprott, Scott Gamma, yeah. all of that. Lovely. All sorts in here, mate. Yeah. If you do do McDermott Fury, then I know what my homework is. Mate, uh, you go watch that and I will swerve you at the last second <laughs> yeah. and catch you by surprise, mate. Uh, it's a good fight. Go watch it. Lovely. Right. We are done. So we hope you've enjoyed another episode from us. Please like, share and subscribe. And uh, it's been a pleasure. Joel, any final words? Love you all. And on that note... Goodbye.